0: Hey everyone, Reese here, and welcome back to another episode of WCL Pure One Ocean. This is episode 29, I believe. And before we get into it, I just want to say again that I hope you're still staying safe out there. I know it feels like school's out for summer, at least here in the Northern Hemisphere, Um, but there's still a pandemic going on. And I know our friends down in Brazil are getting hit really hard right now. And uh, please, everyone, just keep doing your part. Masks on, wash your hands, keep your distance. And remember that we're all in this together. And appropriately, this week, we have someone who really embraces this sense of connectedness. And in an ironic way, she developed it while sailing on the open ocean. Yes, this week, we have the one and only Captain Liz Clark. And for someone who has truly been tested and hardened by storms at sea, Liz has this beautifully humble demeanor that's really inspiring. Um, It's no wonder that so many people love her story. They love her book and the work that she does to protect the ocean. Um, She really is a true inspiration. Uh, So many people in the surf world, environmental world, and sailing world, and ocean community just have a lot of respect for her. So it's a real honor to have with us Captain Liz Clark. Captain Liz Clark, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for making time to join us. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Reese. I'm so stoked to be here.
0: Um, I don't like to uh, do people's bios because I don't know it's just weird for me to say who you are I'd rather hear it directly from you so how would you identify describe yourself uh, to, to someone new who doesn't know maybe your backstory
1: oh gosh um, <laughs> a short I'm version, a short version multifaceted <laughs> being but um, yes I, I'm a an adventurer a, a captain a sailor Um a passionate surfer. I've been traveling, uh, since uh, for about a decade on the ocean on my my forty foot sailboat. Um, left California was, which is where I grew up, and have traveled down through the coast of Central America and then out and in, into the Pacific, and spent a lot of time in French Polynesia, and Kiribati, and um have been a voice for the planet, have tried to do my best to um, speak up for what's vulnerable and what needs protection and try to connect people to this experience that I was having because it's so unique and I knew that not everyone was going to get to have that experience. So um, through my blog and writing and um, the book that I um, published a couple years ago, I've helped try to p- bring people into those experiences and, um, you know, help us see our oneness. I think that's been a big part of, of my mission.
0: Yeah. I love that. I, um, I've been lucky enough that, uh, like I said before we started, I I am a bad host. I haven't read your book yet, but um, my my wife has read the book, so I have it here, and I have some favorite photos even highlighted. It's really an incredible story, and we were lucky to see you at the Patagonia Santa Monica shop um, when you were on your book tour sharing it. And I thought something that's really interesting and interesting in this moment of you introducing yourself even is how humble you are generally. And and when we saw you speak at Patagonia, you had a very humble sort of tone and resonance to you and yet you've done one of the most badass things there is you sailed across the ocean several times and have gone out and truly lived that that life that so many of us kind of only dream of and you know I've been lucky to join um, a sailing I did a sail from the Caribbean up to Massachusetts 10 to 12 days offshore on a 43 foot Hansi with three other people that was like the major adventure to me, but that was with three other people. and thank goodness for those three other people who were more experienced and knew what they were doing. And you <laughs> have done a lot of this on your own or with you know just a couple of friends and and you know the Pacific is much uh, a crossing is much different than a coastal sort of journey. So I just like I have this you you you're a badass and yet you still have this really humble tone and And I wonder how much of that is because of that experience of nature. Keeping us connected and keeping us humble and keeping us keeping our feet on the ground. I don't know. Does that resonate yeah. at all? Or am I like way It off?
1: does. Um, it definitely does. And I don't think I left such a humble person when I when I was <laughs> taking off. Um, but I definitely feel like uh, my experiences out there on the on the sea and with um, so many different cultures and peoples have really. Um, kind of put in perspective uh you know my badassness compared to <laughs> what a lot of people out own of the it world you can live. own it
0: own it you're a badass <laughs> uh, it's really incredible
1: thank you thank you but yeah there's so many badasses out there whose, to- whose stories are never told and um I think that has humbled me a lot and made me realize um you know that my story is, is is wonderful. And, uh, but I'm also just uh, one in so many that are, that are out doing living their dream and, and getting by. And so
0: Very yeah, cool. I think,
1: I think a humble perspective is really important too for people to connect with your, uh, story and your, uh, you know, when you're trying to get messages across, I think, uh, humility goes a long way.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, I still just I have you know ultimate reverence for for what you've done and, and that type of a sailing trip. Again, like just a few days at sea on my trip was enough to make me go, oh my goodness, let me get back to land. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so, you you I mean, can you talk a little bit about your journey? Just kind of in in some maybe I know that it's very hard to sum that up in short order. But for people who are unfamiliar, um, and maybe just a refresher for those who do know your story. Quickly, sort of, you left from. You mentioned you sailed around, and and you've now crossed the Pacific. How many times?
1: Well, I've just sailed from um, the Galapagos to French Polynesia, and then from French Polynesia to the to um, the Line Islands in the Republic of Kiribati, and back to French Polynesia. And then a lot of tours around French Polynesia, so a lot of movement in the Pacific, but never all the way across to Asia. Okay, um, still enough, <laughs> but but enough. A lot of sea miles and uh, over twenty
0: two thousand, uh, right? Nautical miles.
1: Yeah, around twenty two thousand. Okay. Wow. Um, and so when you go out on the ocean like this, you your 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 sailboat becomes your you're a little vessel to sustain your life and you become kind of this autonomous um, little unit that going across this outer space of blue that just goes, seems to go on forever and ever. And so you need to, I mean, my um, philosophy was always prepare, 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 and just, think, you know, what's the worst that can happen, but, but always, um, you know, avoid problems when you can. And, um, so that comes with a lot of preparation, um, in terms of getting the boat safe and knowing your equipment and, um, all of that takes a lot of time and energy and effort. And then you also have to think about, you know, carrying supplies and water and, um, making sure you have everything you need to sustain yourself. And um, there's just there's so many facets to operating a sailboat. You have to kind of know a little bit about a lot and you have to have an attitude of, um, of openness to problems and obstacles that are going to come up because traveling by sailboat, you come across just every kind of different challenge you know you have the elements sure you have um mechanical challenges you have your own mind that you're dealing with um whether it's loneliness or confronting emotions that come up when you're um you know out um,
0: in in the middle of nowhere
1: (laughs) yeah uh so there's there's a lot to it and um if you've never had an experience um on a sailboat it's kind of like camping except you're on the water so you're you're oftentimes you need to be really resourceful with the things that you have because you don't have access to go and buy something right away and um all of this was like i i grew up um on sailboats my my dad loved sailing and we did uh one particular trip to mexico when i was nine years old and um, it really changed the way i thought about traveling the world I wanted I loved this idea of arriving to a place uh, on your own and you instantly have like a different kind of respect from the community when you show up uh, having come across the ocean versus arriving on a plane. I really liked that. And um, <clears throat> and and then when I, I got into surfing in my teens, I kind of saw how my sailing dream and my um, surfing uh passion could collide into this like adventure to go and surf remote waves and, um, you know, learn from different cultures and, and simplify my life and try to live, um, in a way that was more aligned with my values. Um, growing up in Southern California, I, I often didn't feel like I really fit in. I saw, I was always interested in the environment and respecting nature and I'm I felt like the way that we lived just really was outside of, of that. And, um, so this trip was kind of like this way for me to go and have this completely different experience to, to challenge myself, to live outside, um, the box of kind of safety of uh, land life where we have all these systems and setups that kind of like help you, you call the fireman if you have a fire, right. you know, um, on the water, on the ocean, you don't really have those same safety networks. And you have to kind of like be all of that for yourself. And so I think there was something really intriguing to me about having that challenge and um, gaining a different perspective about what life is about
0: yeah you 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 mentioned a bunch of keywords there that are really interesting and and listening to the water people podcast which um i really recommend uh for people who want to learn or hear more hear you do a reading from the book go listen to water people podcast um which is another great podcast that you were on um but I, I think i remember you on that one mentioning that um you learn to sail like a woman or, you know, you said something along those lines of sailing like a woman, not sailing like man who's going out and conquering things and crossing things and, you know, a very male sort of approach. But being like, OK, what are my strengths and, and how do I make that or how do I take what I have and live within those restraints or um, embrace that? I don't know. I, I thought that was such an interesting line. And just in your retelling just now talking about. The way in which you touched down to places and came in and said, because I sailed there, you came in with a different approach to the community. And then my wife had also mentioned that you even built community. It seemed like you built community wherever you went. You you tied into people and the, whether it's other sailors or the local community. So um, I just find all of that to sit in this space of being at one with nature, similar to what you said before, being more in touch um kind of listening and feeling and sensing more than going out with like this is my mission and i'm going to go do this thing regardless of what the ocean provides you or what those communities provide you and that's not even a question that's just a rambling reaction to what you're saying but that's kind of what i get a sense of and it feels like that's what's maybe um pushed you even further down this path of um activism and environmentalism and i don't know does that Does that make sense? (laughs) Am I the worst podcast host ever? I don't even ask questions (laughs)
1: anymore. (laughs) No, not at all. Um, No, I I appreciate you bringing that up because um, it was such an important transition in in my life, actually, kind of realizing, you know, sailing is such a male-dominant sport, and anyone – who's done what I've done. I mean, there's so few females who have done this. And, um, so when I left, you know, I, I had so much riding on this, you know, I had been given the sailboat by a retired professor who, you know, really believed in me and, and my dad had helped so much too. And, uh, you know, I really, I just wanted to do everything to avoid failing, you know? And, um, and so I, I thought that I had to go at it with this you know, very masculine sort of dominate, conquer, um, you know, sail around the world, which was my original goal. And, um, and then, you know, when I got out there, I, I did, I realized that, uh, having a feminine approach and being able to, you know, go within and listen or, or look at my surroundings and observe and say, okay, um, you know, I need to change my course. Um, I think that started to, over and over, I, I got knocked around and, and realized, like, if I try to stick too much to my stubborn, um, masculine, forcing sort of way of doing things, um, that I was going to get myself into a lot more tricky and dangerous situations. And so it was um, a big transition in me actually embracing my feminine femininity which for a long time was very hard for me to kind of... I never fit into like any sort of Western idea of a feminine, um, you know, what was beautiful or feminine. And, and then when I got out there, realizing that uh, a softness and gentleness could really actually be advantageous to me, I, I felt so proud. And, I, and, and then I, I wanted to sink into that and learn, lean into that more. And, and that's why um, I think also women um, at the forefront of the environmental movement are so important because we have this tendency to want to um, listen, to want to observe, to want to nurture and include people versus or include uh, all beings and all life versus, you know, dominate and control.
0: Yeah, I think that that's that's a perfect segue into what I was kind of hoping we'd get into uh, at least eventually is mentioning that flow. I think you described it in that, that last podcast around flow and, you know, going with what nature gives you. Right. That was my experience. Sailing was you can set a course all you want, <laughs> yeah. right? But like you live by what the weather report is. And it's, if the weather report is saying one thing, then you go, that is what I got to do, right? And and so right. um, you're talking about flow and, and you, you talk about that in the book as well. And, and, and so I think that that's so important And I'm wondering how you've applied that flow now to, um, you know, your sort of environmental engagement and the ways that you're thinking about leading and being an inclusive movement, you know, um, um, being in touch with what's going on out there and how to, lean into that and create these sort of movements because uh beyond you know uh the sale the book um you've also been a founding member of changing tides foundation and then you also have another organization atia matarea right i think i got the name right i hope you got it Mm -hmm. um and so i want to talk about both of those and and how your learnings from the open ocean have sort of flowed into these organizations so maybe let's start with Changing Tides. What Give us the quick, what is Changing Tides? And at some point, we're probably going have to have to have Becky or some of the other team members yeah. on as well, because there's so many of you and you do so much great mm-hmm. work. But maybe give us the quick start on Changing Tides.
1: Yeah. So Changing Tides Foundation was born out of uh, a group of um, water women friends of mine who all were, were wanting to do more. We all um, felt like we were at a place in our lives where we wanted to give back more and um, loving the ocean so much and having gained so much from our relationship with the ocean and uh, with each other. um, You know, we we had these really strong bonds um, of sisterhood that had been so so powerful in making us feel... um, feel okay or feel good about pursuing, you know, the things and the things and the the just different kind of um uh, just being a woman and um embracing each other and lifting each other up had yeah. given us so much power. Sorry, I lost my little train of thought there. It's but all good. Um, <laughs> But um, so, Changing Tides Foundation kind of came together on that foundation of wanting to empower other women to protect the planet, and um, we ha- we have our fearless leader Becky Mendoza, who is has been so crucial to um, getting us off the ground. And but every one of us brings something unique: Leah Dawson and her surfing skills and her uh, filmmaking skills; Bianca Lazarus and her photography, Anna Santoro and her amazing capacity to bring people together and make people feel included. Um, Everyone involved uh, just has something unique to bring to the table. And um, it's been really fun to uh, be, to just explore with each other and see where we can go and see, you know, what we can do to give back. And we've done a lot of empowerment through surfing to, in communities around the world. We've done um, some work with bringing clean water to places. We've done a lot with plastic awareness.
0: I'm scrolling the website right now for those uh, who are actually watching. For those listening, you can go to changingtidesfoundation.org. And I'm just kind of scrolling the website while uh, while Liz is going through everything here just to kind of show it off a little bit. And yeah, you've done a lot yeah. of projects all over the place from Peru to Hawaii to the plastic swear jar, which I think is one of the things you're maybe better known for because it's just such a great concept,
1: um, yeah. which I love. Yeah, yeah I love our um, composting project as well in, on the North Shore uh, that came from – a trip I did to uh, Georgia for a um, Patagonia talk, and I met this guy who was doing composting. He was riding his bike around and collecting compost in his neighborhood, and um, he would started this just grassroots um, idea of you know making sure compost in his community was going back to soil and local farms where it could be turned back into food. And so um, yeah, we got that model going on the North Shore now, and super exciting to be able to be, um, you know, sequestering carbon in the soils and removing, um, that food waste from landfills. Super so lots important. of, lots of exciting stuff happening with changing tides.
0: Awesome. And do you want to talk about it?
1: Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I always, yeah.
0: I struggle with all, it, but I got it. All good. It.
1: It's, um, yeah. Tahitian word. So tricky to pronounce. Um, so in the last couple of years I've, um, after I published the book, I Decided to settle on land for a little while and have a land adventure. (laughs) And so um, I'm in a small... Is that harder
0: or easier than being out to sea?
1: (laughs) Um, You know, right now it's also new, so it's really exciting. I'm trying to grow a lot of my own food and all of it's very exciting. I kind of um, was ready for a new experience after uh, almost 14 years living on swell. So, um, so I'm part of a very small community in Tahiti. And, um, there are a bunch of my surfer friends, um, kind of for a long time, we'd been talking about all these issues and things that we wanted to change in the, com- in the community. And so, um, finally we got together and s- decided, you know, the time is right. Let's do this. And so we, we kind of looked at wanting to protect the most vulnerable things in our community, which felt like the environment um animals and the youth so um love that yeah we have uh it's a broad spectrum so there's a (laughs) lot to do it gives you um, some
0: focus though (laughs) I mean there there are a lot of issues out there so at least you've picked kind of three even if they're all pretty broad within that um I I feel you on that one there's so much work that needs to be done but I think that that's a nice intersection of those and I think that from what I've seen you know, it seems like you and or the Changing Tides crew do take a little bit of an intersectional approach of trying to figure out, okay, it's not just environment. It's environment plus our femininity plus, mm-hmm. you know, um, serving those communities that are traditionally Marginalized communities. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you're, you are taking that intersectional approach, which you don't um, necessarily – like we had Leah Thomas on the show last week and she was Yeah, great I listened. I,
1: it was awesome.
0: Oh, awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what she's doing is fantastic, but I think it's one of the funny things is like – That can apply to everyone's work. Whatever you're doing, intersectionality can and should apply. And I think that's cool the way that you guys have done that. So, yeah, sorry. I'm just scrolling the website. Keep going
1: Yeah, no worries. Um, Yeah, so, and I think um, that's a lot of what my sailing trip taught me too is that, um, you know, all of these things are interconnected and so sometimes we need the people who are good at bridging. And um, communicating how these things overlap. And that's one of my strengths. I'm not as good at going in with the microscope, but I am um, good at helping people see where things connect and, and overlap. And so at Tia um we've, you know, we have a, a very cool, diverse group of people as well with lots of different strengths. And so uh, we have started with, um, We started last year with a a lagoon protection project, which kind of overlaps with uh, One Ocean in terms of um, trying to protect uh, a percentage of our lagoon here. Um, And um, we were very successful with that project. It's supposed to be being written into law in July. And so we've basically tried to create anchorage zones because Year, more and more year after year, and this could be my fault for um, making sailing look so fun. Um, oh, no, but m- is this your more- is this
0: your penance? There are more sailors showing <laughs> yeah. off dropping anchor, and it's your fault yes, for making it look cool. And it
1: is, it's my <laughs> fault. So, um, so we've created these anchored zones that help. Um, traveling sailors and, and um, pleasure yachters from around here know where um, the anchorage zones are that are free of coral and won't be co- be causing damage if they drop their anchor in those areas. So um, we've been able to create those zones and, you know, we don't have a lot of resources. We're very new and um, it's been so cool working. Um, I kind of try to stay in the background because I really want the locals here to to be the leaders and the faces of Ati Um And it's it's just been so cool, which is another reason why I just think more and more that indigenous peoples um, should be at the forefront of these ocean conservation and uh, local conservation movements because um, they are so resourceful. We have no money. We've just basically put this together out of... Um, you know, what can we do with just what we have? And, um, and so, uh, I've just learned so much working with them about, uh, resourcefulness and making sure that, um, that island people have the power to protect their own, uh, environments. I think here it's, You know, it's a colonized place where um, the French and the Western ideals are still kind of pushed upon um, local indigenous communities. And um, I hope to that Aitia Materia can kind of help bring some pride and some. I I think our mission is definitely to make sure that uh, indigenous and ancient wisdom is kind of applied in all of these new um whether it's policy or just education that we're trying to do in the local community um we're we're trying to to stay very true to um to bringing ancient wisdom forward
0: that's super important right i mean (laughs)
1: Mm.
0: i think one of the biggest i don't know uh the short-sightedness of 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 mankind so to speak of kind of like we're going to change. We see this thing happening in nature. We're going to change it. So, like, oh, there's erosion over there. Cool. Let's build some jetties. Got it. Right. It's like, hang on.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's
0: a little bit short sighted. And I understand that there is a time and a place for. Um, humankind to intervene and to try to help you know uh, protect a place or regenerate a place and there are successful cases of that but oftentimes there are you know downstream effects of what well, we put in a jetty but then that means you stopped all of the sand flow across a, a long place a great example Long Island or Cape Cod or I'm from Cape Cod originally in the northeast okay. so you know things yeah. like that that you see um, and yeah. the indigenous people in a given area can tell you we could have told you that. We, we've been we've been here forever. We we sure. know how the sand flows. Like we know we know what's going on. It's
1: part of a bigger cycle or, or whatever. Yeah. yeah,
0: totally. And and then I'm I'm also glad that you brought up the point around uh, you know uh, Tahiti and the area being a French territory and you know with the We Are One Ocean campaign which we've been working on and um, are, are, are uh, getting set to really you know put our shoulder to the wheel on that. France is a super important country. It's one of the largest, the countries with the largest EEZ, so exclusive economic zones for ocean territory, because right. of all of the, you know, island nations that are still technically French territory. And right. what I'm excited about, you know, if I can just plug it for a second within the campaign, is that it is very important that as we campaign to protect the ocean, we take into account all stakeholders, which is why it's exciting that this is happening at the United Nations level, where everyone has to get on board. It's consensus. And, you know, that input from what were formerly, I mean, still sometimes referred to as small island developing states, but really they're large ocean territories. Their input is critical because they're being harmed the most and first by climate change, by overfishing, by all of these, you know, giant global activities. And have done the least to create the problems so um, 100 it's a super important narrative so i think your approach with um you know working with the locals and and the indigenous people to understand the challenges and work within their systems is imperative because if we don't do it that way then we're only going to create more problems for ourselves yeah my my two cents humble two cents that i feel very very strongly about
1: (laughs) i i am a thousand percent in agreement with you and i think that was the the most sobering realization is when i was out Um, in these atoll islands and, you know, people are so kind and giving and um, they always made sure I had what I needed or um, felt very welcome. And, uh, you know, coming from a background of environmental science and already, you know, 10 years ago, understanding what was coming, um, you know, and, and looking around and seeing these People so connected to their place, so um, you know, it's not an easy life, but it's it's a beautiful life connected to their environment, and um, and just the thought that everything that we were doing back home from where I came from. Um, was going to be the detriment of, of their livelihood, of their, of their lifestyle, of their culture to, when you remove people from their islands, you, you take them, I mean, they call it their belly button, their pito. you know, it's like, that's, that's who they are. And so uh, it was very sobering for me to have to come to grips with the fact that, um, you know, such a big part of who I am and where I come from was causing this, this risk and this threat to, to island peoples. And that's definitely what pushed me down the road of, um, all of the individual changes that I've made in my life, um, to try to do better, uh, which also, but, you know, at this point we realize individual changes is, is super important, but, you know, we have to attack these problems from every direction. And so, yeah. you know, policy change, you know, we have to be looking at it from every angle and um, but yeah, that's definitely where uh, so much of my original uh, kind of desperateness to do something more for these people came from. You know, that's why I uh, I became an advocate bef- for climate change before it was popular. Before people were um, <laughs> before Greta, you know, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I think, I think it's incredible, I mean, what you've done, and you hit on a really important note, right, which is, like, the individual action, but the, you know, that's one part of creating that bottoms-up support, but we need that collective action and the policy changes, and, you know, uh, we need everything, right? We have to do everything we right. can as soon as we can, and so, um, you know, we get into this a lot. You know, people ask, like, well, what can I do? Uh, sure. It's like, skip a straw. Sure, right? But it's like, yeah. skip a straw and vote,
1: <laughs> right?
0: And vote. Um, and... So, a lot of people did. This is a good way to segue into the questions because a lot of people did have questions on um, tips that you have around uh, going vegan, tips on living a more sustainable lifestyle. Um, I don't know. Maybe you could sum up some of your like kind of basic prime tips uh, for average people out there, and or maybe some of your pro tips. Like, what are the what are the ones that your average person isn't thinking about that maybe is some of the resourcefulness you've learned from you know indigenous people and or being out to sea where you have to save every single scrap of everything to use again.
1: Yeah, um, I think definitely being a smarter consumer first, um, that applies to so many things. But um, if you keep that in, in the forefront of your thoughts, I think that's a very good place to start. Is I like that. Understart, understanding the impacts of your purchases and um, and being conscious of, of their, of where they come from and, and, um, and trying to do better every time, you know, it's, it's a constant learning process. And um, so definitely with start with the easy one with plastics, with the straws, you know, cutting out single use plastic, it, it doesn't happen overnight, but um, there's so many ways that we can reduce our plastic consumption and uh, start to, you know, use by bulk um just always have your reusables with you yeah. you know these are simple things that um just a, a tiny bit of lifestyle change can um can have a really big profound impact um i we've started making eco bricks here cuz we don't have bulk stores and stuff but oh, we cool. have we find a lot of plastic bottles and so we're we're stuffing our plastic uh that we buy from maybe buying rice or pasta at the store um, and fill that into these plastic bottles that make bricks that we'll eventually build something out of. So, so trying to get creative with your waste. I think um, that leads to another really important thing is composting. Um, Trying to be conscious of uh, obviously recycling and, and doing those things. But if you can keep your food waste out of your uh, other trash and make sure it's going back to the land, uh, that's a huge th- food food waste is a a huge um, climate it's a huge uh, <laughs> climate Added, um, addition
0: uh, additional source of emissions I guess yes way to yes
1: up. yeah yeah methane is produced in landfills from um, from land from land waste uh, food waste that isn't getting broken down yeah. um, back and back into the soil um, and so, so composting is a huge other individual thing that you can do. And, um, that's why we kind of focused on that in changing tides, but everybody who has, um, a little piece of land or a backyard can, can do composting and people in apartments. That's why more and more there's movements to have, um, you know, municipal composting. And we really, I really am a fan of that. Yeah. Um, I think uh, I've chosen to focus on a plant-based diet or moving towards eating more plants because of the profound impacts of the animal agriculture industry on our land and on our oceans as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I think uh, it also occurred to me at some point when I was sailing and and living from the oceans that, uh, you know, it's really important to know where your seafood is coming from because um, when you don't, you could be contributing to a huge amount of bycatch that's caught um, in, in industrial fishing um, and just the industrial fishing practices today are just cleaning the ocean out of fish. Yeah. Uh, and then, so at, at some point, I um, as much as I do love eating fish, I think they taste really good. Um but I, I also realized that in these places that I'm sailing, people are living off of fish. They need those fish to survive. And um, in places where I can survive off of um, plant-based foods, I, I prefer to do that.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, Tahiti has no fishing regulations. Um, the rahui was the traditional way of protecting fish, but uh, now those... You know, we've moved towards um capitalist way of, of living, and so um there's there's not a lot of fish left, and so that's a big reason why I've turned away from um eating a lot of fish and and making sure that if I am eating fish, knowing where that fish is coming from, right. and I think that's that's really exciting to me about what you guys are doing with One Ocean, um and making sure that um we're protecting these big areas of fish from industrial fishing and uh you know because the people in these um atoll islands and and um island nations you know the ocean is kind of like a bank account it's like they don't have other ways of having a retirement plan or uh you know in Kiribati there's no other nation that's supporting them um And making sure they have a pension. Um, So the ocean is their retirement plan. It's their bank. It's their refrigerator. So, um, you know, we need to make sure that uh, developed nations are not just extracting all the fish from these places and leaving them with nothing. You know, already the oceans are so fragile and um, with acidity and all the things happening. You know, we just – we really – protecting a third of the ocean is going to uh, really have a profound impact on these nations who, and peoples who rely on the ocean every day.
0: Yeah, you touched on a couple of things there, which I, I love this. I, I, I would love to rap about this like all day. Um, you touched on the, the ocean as like a retirement account or a bank account. And there are a couple things that, um, you know, make me think that one, I've often referred to it as like, we have been, uh, the ocean has been collecting debt. For us for like you know 93 percent of the excess you know heat in the atmosphere has been absorbed by the ocean yeah that's like a debt that's about to come due upon us from the ocean the ocean's about to come come up and be like hi yeah so i've been collecting all your debt all that excess uh, carbon and heat and um now i'm going to take all of your cities that are on the coastlines (laughs) right right coming to
1: claim (sighs) yeah
0: totally and then the other the other um the other analogy that i like in there and just in the or the mention of the the ocean as a financial sort of of, um, resource for these island nations there was a really interesting study and i think i've mentioned this before on the podcast so some people might roll their eyes at me being redundant but it's super important all these island nations they're they rely on basically two sources of income or just a couple right you have either got tourism or you have mm-hmm. fishing but not necessarily fishing for their own people selling those permits to other nations to fish yes. in their exclusive economic zones Now, what's happening is you can go out and say, cool, this is our area to fish. And you think, "Okay, we know that we can bank on people buying those permits off of us for the next 10, 20, 30 years or whatever. But what's happening as a result of climate and the climate change and ocean warming is that a lot of these fish species are moving toward colder water, whether that's deeper or in a different direction i know that in the area that i'm from um, lobster etc have been moving north and a little bit deeper to colder Mm. more nutrient-rich water and so Mm. what it is it's an economic problem it it goes beyond being an environmental problem if we want to the reason why the business heads and you know kind of the global western sort of mentality starts to wake up and go wait a second this is an economic problem how do we solve for this this is going to cause a lot of stress for these these island nations so it's really fascinating to hear you reference the ocean as a a bank account and and um i am excited that you're on board for our our 30 by 30 campaign to protect a third of the ocean by 2030 um because the the reality is that the ocean is resilient right if we if we Mm -hmm. can protect some of it you know you protect those fish species that live within those protected areas and if we have to actively if we actively monitor and continue to evaluate i actually think that's something really compelling is to think about well if populations are going to move over some time scale. Do we need to constantly reevaluate where we place these marine protected areas, right? Or make them sure. big enough to account for migrations of certain fish species like the keystone species like tuna that we love? Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyway, it's yeah. a fascinating discussion, but I could yeah. I could blabber all day. I want to get back I into love some it. of the, the fan questions. Oh, yeah. The thing, um, <laughs> back
1: to the. Did I, did, did I forget any things? Um, well, also um, going back to what we can do. Um, sure. And let's uh, talk about policy and, and action and um, stepping up and, and making sure we are act- doing enough in that department. I think um, in the last several years, a lot of us have become more politically motivated than ever. And um, I just can't reinforce that enough right now, how important it is to, for us to be engaged politically Um especially on a local level. I think a lot more of us need to consider um, becoming leaders in our local communities. And, um, and it's become really clear to me after only about a year and a half of working, um, you know, kind of planting myself in one place, how much impact you can have um, when you're, when you're working on a local level. And, um, and... um, So are
0: you running for office? Is this... This, are you announcing
1: <laughs> no <laughs> no de- definitely not but um but i i've it's shown me how when no one's looking oftentimes uh you know local leaders are much more apt to profit and do the wrong thing and um you know just overlook the environmental consequences or um the consequences of the the most vulnerable peoples in a in a place, and so um, becoming watchdog in your community for these things um, can have such a positive impact. Uh, whichever route you want to take, um, and then, um, yeah, I think going back to the question about uh, veganism, um, I think diet is something that. I, I like to talk about diet and I, and I, um, focus on it a lot in my own life because I think it's something that we do three times a day. It's something that shapes, um, our place. It connects us to where we are. Um, so I don't think that it's, I don't think it's okay to say that one diet is, is the best for everyone. Um or that a plant-based diet is the most sustainable for everywhere on earth. But I do think that um, in understanding the facts more and more, that by eating more plant-based proteins and definitely avoiding um, factory farmed meats, we can have a really positive uh, impact just by by changing that. Um, Totally.
0: That's a great one it's a great one because it's something you can do every day you have you you have choices to make every single day and that's that's an easy one and I think the important thing that I'd probably like to pull back from your notes earlier on flow is like Mm. recognize that there's going to be a time when you go home for a family holiday and your parents are going to serve you some meat or something and you're like okay you know what like don't flip out about it you know like that's fine or that there are going to be a time when you're on the road or when you're sailing and you're like I have a fish. I need a fish. I caught a fish. I'm going to eat the fish.
1: Yes. (laughs) Um, Yes. I think that's really important to, in, in everything. I think when you become too extremist and too, uh, alienated or thinking your ways, the only right way. Um, I, I don't think that ends up serving us as a, as a whole. I think we need to be able to, uh, step into other people's perspectives and understand where they're coming from. And if people are you know, have their own small farms and they're raising their own animals or, you know, there's, there's so many different ways to do it that, but, uh, I think most of us can agree now that, um, that factory farming is horrific and needs to end and that, um, plant-based proteins can be more sustainable, um, can be healthier and, um, and that it doesn't have to be so black or white, you know, if sometimes when I, someone bakes me a cake and it has butter in it, you know, I'll have a bite or what, you know, it's just like try to um, stay open-minded and remember place because I think that is really, really important is remembering where you are and trying to do your best to know where your food is coming from, know your farmers, know your fishermen, um, plant your own. And um, it's a very powerful thing. And I think also in terms of removing power from these corporations that um, continue to t- t- take us on this trajectory that is um, leading us into no man's or the path <laughs> of no return, um, you know, my I think food autonomy and taking back your power over food is a is a huge place to just rob um, industry uh, corporations that are that are doing so much harm to the planet. Um, it's a great place to take our power back.
0: I love it. Take the power back. All right. I have a couple more questions from people and maybe we'll just do quick, quicker answers so that we can get through them because we are running up against a time constraint. Um, This one is kind of a heavy one though. So let's see how tightly you can answer it. I'm guessing Not my strength.
1: Tight. Tight answers (laughs) are not my strength, but I'll do my
0: best. I'll put a timer up to the- um, So I assume that at some point you might have read um, Into the Wild. And if you remember the Christopher McCandless quote, happiness is only real when shared. Um, from mm-hmm. that book, do you find any truth in this and the magic of being like you've been alone out at sea and is it one of those things where it's really powerful and empowering or is it also, uh, you wish those people were there with you? Uh, and that question's from, uh, JT Suhar uh, on the, on the team here. Actually, he, he wanted me to ask that it. one and I think it's a great one. Um, so
1: I love it. Um, for me, my experience of solo sailing, at the time when I was doing it, it brought me a lot of happiness. I was just discovering um, my kind of like myself as an individual, and that feeling of being able to know that I was going to be able to be happy and all you know all good by myself out at sea with no one around. Um, that was really empowering for me, and and gave me so much strength coming back to any other situation that I faced. Um, in the future. So um, I do think there is an element to and an importance to being able to be happy on our own. And um, but at the end of the day, when I when I had lived out that experience, and and I felt that I, you know, kind of checked that box of knowing that I could, um, could could be happy and sustained on my own. um, I think at that point, I did really want to connect with others and, and share and, and it did make every time I was sharing or now um, you know, sailing with a partner when I sail with Tuhui, it's, it, it's really, really a wonderful experience. That's awesome.
0: Great answer. Um, a couple people asked about this. Um, Macy Griffin, two and nameless dudes um, asked best advice for women who want to get into the sailing world. Um, you know, because as you touched on it, it's a typically male dominated sort of world. Maybe that's changed a little bit since you started out. Um, but I don't know any kind of quick advice for people who want to get into sailing.
1: Yeah, I think um, some of the best ways are to just put yourself around it, get down on the docks and meet people and um, do some of the a lot of the yacht clubs and um, sailing associations have like Wednesday sales where, uh, they invite people of, you know, anyone to come crew and, and get out there and have that experience. Um, I think another, if you want to really do what I was doing, um, do apprentice with, um, some, you know, your local rigger, your local Marine electrician, um, some of these guys who are down there working on boats. Um, if you're lucky, there'll be a woman down there working on boats, um, <laughs>
0: I think but, you just signed yourself up for a bunch of people to email you and say, "Do you need an apprentice willing uh, to take the semester? Currently uh, can't go back to college, so I'm happy to come to, to uh, an apprentice for you."
1: I think I need to start uh, something like that because I do. I get so many requests, and um, I wish I could, do, you know, help everyone get going on their dream. But I think. Um, a lot of, there's a lot of resources right there in your community. You have to just get down there and and talk to people. And a a lot of times what I found, um, was that, uh, a lot of people want to share their, their knowledge with someone who is willing and open to learn. And so that can become, um, a really healthy exchange and a really fun exchange, um, for, for people on the other end too.
0: Very cool. All right. One final one. This one is from my wife, Annie, actually. Uh, She had a ton of questions, which I've already kind of littered into the thing, but this is one final one and it might be a tough one. And she was going to say, what have you learned from the ocean? And she was going to say in one word, but I'll give you a couple words or a sentence or two. What have you learned from the ocean just in your experience? I
1: think, (laughs) yeah, I've learned so much, but Um, I think in general what I've learned from the ocean is to be compassionate for others which seems kind of odd because the ocean is indifferent you know but um, but through through sailing through the my time I've spent in the water through surfing um, and sharing uh, I've just realize that the more compassion that we can have for others, um, the more our own experience is enriched. And I think compassion is something that really can work to save us right now. And um, moving away from that kind of Western ideal of autonomy and uh, independence and thinking that we can do everything on our own, and realizing that we need to step into compassion and and kind of see things from other people's perspectives and um and help each other and work together as a global family. I think um, the ocean has taught me that we're all connected and and that it's really important to um to not be so selfish.
0: That's a fantastic answer, especially what we're currently going through in the world with COVID-19, with, you know, the social injustice that is happening. And, you know, those are layered on top of the climate crisis that we're already living through uh, daily. So I think that's an incredible answer. And, you know, I had noted that on your website, um, you do just say that one of your lessons learned, we're all just doing our best. Um, and I, I, love that just kind of recognizing like we are all humans and <laughs> we're all just chugging along. Okay. Final, final question. This one is, uh, an ACE Bucking special, uh, ACE, one of our peer ambassadors, and he asked it of Senator Surfer from Tasmania and I just loved it. So I've continued to use it. If you could take anyone in the world on a sail with you or on a surf, his question was on a surf, I guess for you, a sail to a surf, you can take any one person in the world with you to go for a sail on a surf where would you go who would it be or who would it be where would you go and what would you talk about
1: wow um (laughs) (laughs) let's see who would i take um oh gosh i'd love to take jane goodall sailing
0: oh awesome I love it. Um, and where would you go?
1: We might just go to um, to one of my favorite outer islands okay. and
0: just undisclosed location.
1: Yeah, have some some time to. I share so much of her um, when I was when I read her books and and listen to her talks. So much of my experience resonates with. Um, how she, her experiences in the jungle and, um, and with the chimps. And so I'd really love to just sit down and, and talk with her about her perspective and, um, you know, furthering some of her missions to, to save the world.
0: I love that. That's a great answer. Um, Liz, anything else you want to share with us? Anything we missed? I mean, um, a lot, a lot we missed. No, we skipped over bro. like a <laughs> several thousand awesome. nautical miles, but, um, <laughs> in the this interest was, of time.
1: Yeah, I know this was so awesome Reese. Um I think the only last thing that I would just want to um want to remind us as we as as we think about ocean conservation and um, one ocean is to um like model I've been reading a lot of um Ayana Elizabeth Johnson's work and She's I'm so best. inspired by her, um, project in Barbuda, um, and how she, you know, put the power into the community to decide what conservation was going to look like. And so I think that, um, I think we should remember that as we, as we try to save the world.
0: I love it. Yeah. She's all about building community around solutions and it's a really powerful yeah. way to, you know, create a team and, um, to include everybody. So yeah, uh, Ayana is a, a good friend and we're very lucky to really? have her in the pure family. Yeah. So yeah. Oh, um, cool.
1: That's happy, so awesome.
0: Happy that you, you dig what she's up to and she's, uh, she's doing some incredible work and it's just more great people. So cool. Liz, thank you so much. This is really you. great. <laughs> All right. See ya. Take care. Thanks, Liz, for joining us. I really love that takeaway. Um, Given all the miles she sailed in the indifferent ocean, she's come away with even more compassion, which is just really inspiring. And I think many would agree that, you know, the world could use more compassion these days. Before we get to the credits, we're trying something new. And this is before we get into Plastic Free July, which is coming up soon. We wanna hear from you about your very best tips on how you reduce your use of plastic. Don't just tell me to bring a Hydro Flask around, that's a given. Let's hear your most creative ideas. And send it to us in a voice memo to oneocean at wslpure.org. We're going to use the best ones in up, an upcoming episode. Um, so send a voice memo to oneocean at wslpure.org with your very best tips on how you reduce plastic. Um, okay, thanks for listening to this episode. If you like this episode, please do us a favor and drop a rating and write a review. It truly helps the podcast grow. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to Liz's site, to her book, Swell, to Changing Tides Foundation, to Atia Matareya. Uh, and as always, you can find us at Pure and at WSLPure.org. Until next week, I hope you stay safe. I hope you stay self, <laughs> stay healthy, stay healthy, keep fighting for justice, keep fighting for the environment and keep up your compassion. All right. See you next time.